Good afternoon. Welcome to breakout session featuring AXA speaking about how they've built a landing zone to be able to accommodate uh, what is a very complex organization. My name is Frank Fallon. I lead AWS's worldwide financial services team. And I have been engaged, as my team has, with AXA for uh, a number of years. And they've been a terrific customer. Their uh, business organization is, is very complex. It's built on a highly distributed business framework. Uh, and as I'm sure you'll hear from Ash and Thomas, uh, they operate in over 60 countries with dozens and dozens and dozens of products. Uh, and their move to the cloud uh, has been made um, for a lot of uh, very powerful business reasons, but uh, there is quite a bit of complexity involved. As uh, you heard in Andy Jassy's keynote today, uh, really a lot of what is important for transformations of organizations is to take complexity as much as you can out of the process and at AWS, we believe that that's one of our primary responsibilities in working with our customers is to uh, remove some of the undifferentiated heavy lifting and bring simplicity uh, from, from complexity to allow our customers to really focus on the true business issues. Um, so it's our pleasure uh, to have uh, Ash and Thomas present today and I will turn it over to them. Okay. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you, Frank. So, thank you very much, um, Frank, for that, those kind words and that introduction. My name's Ash Shah. I'm the Global Move to the Cloud Program Director for AXA worldwide. And I'm going to take you through a journey. Um, oops. I'm going to take you through a journey about who are AXA, firstly, just because maybe some of you in the room don't really know who we are. I'll then talk to you about our cloud journey, some of the challenges we face, and some of the lessons we've learned during that process. And hopefully you, as um, Andy mentioned this morning, the purpose of reInvent is to be a sharing experience, a, a collaborative event where people learn and share. So hopefully you'll maybe take away at least one good idea out of this presentation that you can take back to your organization. And then finally, we'll, um, Thomas will talk in detail about how we've used AWS to help us build a global landing zone and our cloud broker function so that we've actually been able to migrate consistently, globally, and consistently our cloud pro platforms. So with that said, I'll run into who are AXA. So the very first challenge that we've had within AXA, it's when we're doing a cloud program and a cloud migration challenge, is that we've, we need to make sure that we, we change the culture of our organization. Most people see that insurance is an, an industry that needs change and, or is slow at adopting change. And if you look on the right-hand side, that's a typical laptop of uh, any typical AXA employee. What, what we're trying to do is change that culture and sticker by sticker, so you can see my laptop on the right-hand side there, sticker by sticker, we're trying to change the way they, the mindset within the organization. So you can see it's still quite a long journey because 99% of people probably still have the one on the right, but I'm sure that as you are, adopt, you are encouraging your cloud programs in your 
enterprises or your organizations. You need to get traction and change with the culture. To do that, using stickers is one easy, simple way to get people to buy into the process. So, oops. So let me tell you a little bit about AXA. We're a global organization headquartered out of Paris in France. We're an insurance carrier who service property and casualty insurance, life insurance, as well as asset management. I'll let you read the rest of the statistics on the slide, but just to say thank you for all of you in the room who are our customers. Uh, there are 105 million of you around the world, and um, maybe some of you in this room are actually customers as well, so thank you for your business. And the ones who aren't, you come and see me later, I'm sure we could sell you something. Yeah. <laughs> that said, we, um, we're global, we, what we have in AXA is a unique operating model though. We, what we call a federated model. At our head office in Paris, we, or centrally, we tend to make decisions. We, um, we, get, we, we create programs, innovation, ideas, and we then ask our entities to actually execute those. So we have an operating model where we have a central functions or central ideas, but actually all the execution is done at the local level in all the countries, and that's here you can see in 60 plus countries that we operate in. So that different, unusual paradigm creates a, quite a, a very fun environment to work in, but extremely challenging. Because in a cloud program or a cloud migration program, you want to ensure that you have global consistency. And to do that and to achieve that, we've worked a lot with AWS on our global landing zones um, that Thomas will talk about later. So just before I jump into the next slide, I want to tell you that why, why, do we, why did we undertake a cloud program? So in AXA, we have a large amount, like most insurance carriers or legacy organizations, we have a large amount of technical debt that needs to be readdressed. We also wanted to take advantage of all the automation that's available with cloud products, so especially on the infrastructure side. We wanted to enhance our security, and our customers are expecting that we service them 24 by 7. And then finally, what we wanted to do is help our business to take advantage of cloud-native features so that we could release new products faster and new services to our customers. So we undertook a, a, a cloud journey. Because we are, the mission of our organization is to be customer first and to achieve that customer first vision and, and the payer to partner strategy that we have, we, we needed to have a tech-led strategy. And that tech-led strategy, one of the key pillars or the key pillar is our cloud program. So what I'm going to do is just show you a quick video, just a little bit about us, just so that you have a bit more context of what we do. If that works. Oops. No. OK. Unfortunately, the video didn't work. Sorry. But we'll, we'll have it when they share the slides later. So I'm going into how did AXA's cloud journey and our strategy. We started our program back in 2017, where we started with a private cloud initiative, working um, led by IT for IT's sake, looking at cost savings and a cost reduction program on infrastructure. We then, following that, we then had a separate team who managed a public cloud program which looked at business agility, led by a different team with different objectives and different goals. And unsurprisingly, after a couple of years, 
the, the organization realized that it wasn't providing the business value that we really wanted. So we took a strategic review at the, end, at the beginning of 2018, and we took a hard look at our program and said, actually, we're not getting the benefits that we want. So we formed a new program called Move to the Cloud. We use the image that you see on the top right there as our banner or our emblem for our program. And we started, and we, we, we started a, a sing, single combined program where we, had, we focused on business benefits and the business drivers of why we're doing cloud as opposed to the IT ones. We also focused on engaging our entities, the 60 plus entities and countries, to work with us rather than it being a top-down initiative. And with that buy-in, we've, we've managed to achieve a few other things. So we then decided that we needed to create a cloud broker function and landing zone, so having the, right, the same technical platform across the group, and create an interface between our head office and our local entities. But Thomas will elaborate on that in a, in a few moments. We then decided to prioritize our larger business units to move to the cloud. And why did we do that? That was primarily because our larger business units had more capacity to take on the change effort um, that was involved in a cloud journey because it's not just about uh, people, but it requires funding, it requires technology change, a change in the culture and the mindset of people as well. And actually in the mid, just I think it was in October this year, we as an organization managed to move over a thousand of our applications on various cloud platforms from SaaS, PaaS, or IaaS. Uh, we've moved over 1,000 applications now. We have about 6,000 of applications in the group which are eligible. And of those 6,000, uh, we've managed to move 1,000. That's about 20%. We hope by the end of this year, we will hit 25% of, of our cloud, of, of, all, of all our, our products, our applications that are available. So 25%, does that sound good or not? Not quite sure. The, what, why I think 25% for us is a good number is because we do not lift and shift any of our applications. Every single application we move has either the infrastructure redressed and upgraded or upgraded, or the application is refactored, or we move them to a SaaS version of the product. So with that, we have managed to still move a 1,000. So we do not lift and shift, because otherwise we would just be carrying over the same tech debt, but just under new infrastructure. Why would we want to do that, right? So. We, we hopefully will achieve 25% at the end of this year. Like most organizations, we have a cloud-first strategy for all our new business applications and any applications that we're changing. And we, 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 we offer, as a centralized function, products and services in all th three of the um, cloud platforms in PaaS, SaaS, and IaaS. We, we've enabled the usage of native apps in a global, consistent manner. We focus a lot on the technical migration and supporting our entities to upskill their resources, be self-sufficient, do their portfolio analysis, be able to execute and choose which applications they want to migrate and when and how. And we've created centers of excellence around product sets. But what else have we done to make, to make that work? Because you can have the technology, you can have the people, but if, it, if you don't have a gel or a bonding process, you won't actually succeed. What we did was we, we centralized a number of operational functions to be, help us adopt and move to the cloud. So for example, our risk, audit, compliance functions, all together globally have the same understanding of why we're doing the cloud program, 
what are the risks, what are the acceptances, we're constantly monitoring those, and then we work with our local entities to cascade that message. And that's helped us um, accelerate our journey. We've also created a community of, of managers in each of the entities who focus on migration. This is extremely important because it helps us stop reinventing the wheel every time. Every new entity, how do I do an application assessment? How do I select which systems to first migrate, to test and learn with? What, is, what, what does good look like? We also spend a phenomenal amount of time, and I spend a lot of time on the back of a plane, going out and communicating about our cloud program to all our entities, to the C-level executives within our organization, because they need to understand why we're doing cloud. It's not a cost-saving program, dispelling a large number of myths that are out there, and driving uh, awareness, both in the business community as well as IT. And finally, um, which Thomas will talk about, is that we needed to make sure that we had technical standards uh, which were consistent and glo globally consistent. So, like most organizations, uh, we, and very much like Andy Jesse mentioned in this morning's keynote, you, st we, you start with very simple, the first pilot, the first um, application, and say, oh, we managed to do something in the cloud. This, is, this, for me, is baby food. It's the first step, but there's no real structure or strategy about how you're going to move your estate or your, or your applications that you have within your organization. You then move to your single standalone applications, um, and I believe within AXA now, we're probably the majority of the way done with all of our simple standalone applications and have migrated those. We're starting to come up to the challenges of dealing with ecosystem of applications, ones where they're interconnected to a number of applications and they have to move in a, together. They can't just move by themselves. We'll obviously have complex, very complex applications that, that um, at some point that we will need to manage, and then there will be some which fit in the too hard kind of move box. So what have we learned? And maybe some of these are the points that you could take away from your own experiences or you can relate to, is that we constantly are updating our strategy around cloud. We, there we are with the introduction of Kubernetes or SAP on the cloud now. We are evolving our strategy probably every three to six months and we should keep up with the market and the change. We, we spend a lot of time aligning with our entities and working on global compliance because we're in a heavily regulated industry, so compliance is very important that we're, we're adhering to the right rules. The other aspect that I, I spend a lot of time on is making sure that we're hitting our targets. So when we started our program, I couldn't even have told you how many applications we have in NAXA Group worldwide. Through driving a rigorous process with our entities, as long as you know, if you measure what you, what you, to me, you need a measure to be able to measure success. And we've been pushing very hard on measuring the number of applications we have, which ones are eligible, and then tracking against those. So KPI reporting and having goals and objectives is very important. And then finally, you obviously have a business case. Every organization will have a business case that you need to manage, and that needs to be constantly updated and evolved as you go along. And where possible, you look at the business value and business KPIs rather than just the underlying cost savings that you could achieve. With that, that said, I think we are probably the only global insurer operating in multiple countries who have managed to achieve uh, at least 20, 25% of our applications on the cloud. And we believe we're quite industry leading in that aspect. Because it's quite easy to do 
a cloud program within one country where you, your team and resources are all based with a single language, simple competency base. But when you're trying to do that in a, when you're working with 60 countries and trying to do that globally consistently, it's a, it's a big challenge for us. So what I'm going to show you, hopefully if the video works this time, is an example of our Japanese business where they have managed to find some value with the help of AWS on a data lake program and actually, yeah, okay, so hopefully I'll be able to. Japanese customers have high expectations when it comes to customer service. Constantly improving their experience is a priority for us, which is why after a transaction, we ask them for their feedback and then post their comments on the AXA homepage. Their comments provide insight for improvement actions. However, due to the sheer volume of the comment, it takes time to read and categorize manually, which means that we do not have enough time to dedicate to the actual action planning and implementation. Therefore, we needed to adapt our data analyzing system and automate the processing of this comment. This is why our Data Lake platform was born. It is developed leveraging AWS capabilities such as S3 and SageMaker in order to deliver quickly the solution for our customers. Within AXA Group, we are among the first ones to have set up a Data Lake solution on AWS using fully managed services. Our customer feedback was the first data set being fed into the Data Lake. We use AWS Data Science tool to analyze the data. We are now able to select the right tools to run the right jobs. We deliver new capabilities, including machine learning and business intelligence. The cloud has really enabled IT and business to collaborate in an agile, iterative, and also with a continuous improvement mindset. AXA's commitment to accelerate its digital transformation is becoming visible in our daily work. For example, we are moving to our customer voices to the cloud and using AI to analyze and categorize the data. Our result to date shows that Thanks to the cloud and AI, in the future, we will decrease our manual work by 80%. The freed up time and provided data will allow us to make further in-depth analysis. We will also work on planning and rolling out initiatives that will improve our customer experience. Good. Thank you. I'm now going to hand over to Thomas who's going to give, go into a bit more detail about how do we maintain that global consistency within our organization. Thank you. All right. Thank you, Ash. Thank you. So before I start, you've seen some of the, uh, of the people in the video who have been uh, you know, able or who have been supporting to make this data analytics program a success. And by the way, we have those people here in the room, like Veda, whom you saw in the video, so from Japan. So colleagues from Japan, just raise your hand that everyone knows you're here. So to, to your, you know, for those of, of you who are more you know, engineering and technology oriented, don't hesitate to reach out to the team after this session because they can give you much more insight of, uh, of that work they've done in, in Japan. Um, you've seen a lot, you've learned a lot now about AXA. Uh, and how we, how we approached our migration and cloud migration journey. Um, and actually, due to the setup of AXA, of AXA in this federated model, um, we were facing a challenge. And you can imagine what that challenge was. As public cloud services are available to all the entities, and, and there's a lot of business value, business drivers behind, 
the entities wanted to start their cloud adoption very quickly, and they started to use cloud services, AWS services. Um, so, which is good because it, it creates value and it goes fast. At the same time, we want to do this in a very efficient and very and controlled way. So, we needed to find the balance between speed and autonomy of the, of the business versus our ambition to do it effectively, standardized, and in a controlled manner. So, and this was not something that we invented in one day. So, it was a journey, and we learned it, and it, I would say it's uh, mainly the last three years that we we've engaged into that journey and we came up with two answers to this challenge. The first one is the global landing zone concept. I will explain a bit about what it is about. Um, but, you know, having the technolog technological means and the standardization only is not enough. We also found out that we need to have the right organizational setup in place to make sure that we are able to be close to the business, to work with the entities and to have the let's say, the trust, but also the capabilities to work with a, uh, a more centralized you know, cloud center of excellence that we've built as well. Okay, so now we'll, I will guide you now a little bit through our journey. Um, on this slide, you see, I would say, the, the four key milestones of our journey. And it looks a bit sequential, but anyway, it's, it's not a sequence, okay? So it, it, was, it evolved over time, and a lot of these, um, I would say, uh, a lot of these learnings that we had, they were, they were coming up, you know, in parallel or in different areas. So we started with, you know, when we found out that entities started to engage into the cloud journey using cloud services, um, we wanted to put in place a minimum set of policies, of requirements, of standards, to make sure that they are doing it in, the, in, a, in, a, in a standardized but also secure way because we are in a highly regulated environment. So we needed to make sure that we are you know, compliant, secure, and, um, uh, and that we have those standards uh, documented and the entities adhering to it. So that's what we call the managed public cloud. That was the first step. However, we realized it's not enough to document something and try to you know, evangelize about how standards in the cloud should be implemented. We, re we need really needed to build the, the cap capabilities, the know-how, uh, ourselves, because otherwise, you know, we, we couldn't be the right consultants towards the entities and their uh, business ambitions. So what we did as well is we built a very small team, a cloud center of excellence for AWS. Uh, actually, we started with two people um, who started to translate the policies of the managed public cloud into uh, technical assets, into automation, uh, configurations, and um, so the team grow, grew in the meantime, okay, so it's not, it's not a huge team. We are not, like Ash explained, we are not a centralized company, we are decentralized. Nevertheless, the Cloud Center of Excellence for AWS, now we are, we are six to eight people, you know, depending on, uh, on the workload we have. So we had the policies, we started to build the skills and the Cloud Center of Excellence, but we needed to go one, one step further. Because if we wanted to really uh, create a standardization across the group, we needed to, to work on automation. We need to create technical assets. And that's where the global landing zone was created. It was the birth of the global uh, landing zone. It was step three in the journey. And so we were able now to create releases of, technolo you know, of technology, of configurations and tools, and to deploy them 
However, when we deployed them, we needed to have someone who's able to take that and integrate this into the local ecosystem, into the local ecosystem, uh, application landscape, architecture of all the different entities. And there was a missing link. And this was, what, where, this was a point where we created the cloud, what we call the cloud broker, which is uh, basically a cloud center of excellence inside of each and every entity uh, we are working with. And as you can see, the journey is not over. Okay? This is what we are explaining here is the current state of, uh, of our learning journey. Probably there will be something after that. But so far, um, we've been quite successfully able to accelerate the cloud journey, as Ash explained. Now let me dive a bit deeper into those four milestones. The first one was the managed public cloud. Um, and actually, it's a, it's a concept that defines the minimum requirements, the minimum policies and standards that every entity needs to put in place. So, as you can see here, it's the foundation, what we call the foundation, which is an automated setup. It's quite, uh, let's say, it's compulsory, okay? It's quite uh, strict, and it's about topics like network configuration, IAM integration, so identity access management, okay? Because when we started, AWS didn't know us as an AXA employee, so we needed to create uh, an interface to our IAM system. Um, it's about simple things like naming conventions, because, the, because the, the, the cloud workload is not standalone, it's integrated to all our data centers. So we needed to make sure that you know, all of this can coexist. So that's the foundation layer. On top of that, um, we've created what we call a project environment, which is a, a much more, you know, allows much more autonomy. It's much more in the hands of the entities to create their projects on top of the foundation. However, making sure that not one of those projects is influencing another one, um, but it's all running through self-service portals, so that's very simple to use, and it ensures, again, that we are using the foundations in a secure and compliant way. And last but not least, on the top, you see the individual services that the engineers, the developers are using and engaging with on top of all those foundations and project environments, and that's the highest level of autonomy. Okay, so if I'm an engineer and I want to configure any kind of service, I want to use it, I can do that. And I know I will be secure, I will be compliant with the AXA policy because I'm doing it on top of the project environment and on top of the foundation. So once we had that, we said, okay, we need to increase our capabilities in the cloud space, I mean, the, you know, training expertise specifically about AWS services, um, architecture, how does it work? So we created this uh, cloud center of excellence, okay? It's a global center, it's not, you know, I would not say it's centralized, it's global. It, can, it consists of people from different countries. It's a very small team, it's like a SWAT team. But this team, you can see here, is covering a lot of important aspects that we have to, that we had to enable. And I will just pick a few of them because you can read the slide, but I think an important one is this famous deployment network I mentioned earlier. Without having the link from the global cloud center of excellence into the entities, into the teams that are actually creating the value with the cloud services, um, it is very difficult to, it is dif very difficult to, to adhere to standards, okay? Or to also get the feedback about what are the required services. 
So deployment network is important. Infrastructure needs identification here, as you can see. It's a bit misleading because it's more like a service or business requirement process that we put in place and is actually a process to use product owners. Okay, we have a global product owner at AXA for the AWS services, Carlos, who's sitting here. And uh, he's working with the product owners of all the different entities who are then defining their requirements about the type of services they want to enable, the type of configurations they would need for their projects. And we're creating a backlog and we are delivering all together in a co-development uh, approach those, those capabilities. So that's the Cloud Center of Excellence. Now the Cloud Center of Excellence, as I mentioned, cannot exist on its own. Here on this uh, chart you see actually the global footprint of, of the team. So you have the Cloud Center of Excellence, but you have the cloud brokers in all the different countries. In the, in the you know, G9 countries, as we call them, but also in the emerging markets and transnational entities, um, like in Asia, for example. And this allows us to collaborate, to work together. The Global Cloud Center of Excellence, super small, with all the different entities and their local cloud brokers, this is one team. Okay, so we stay connected to what are the requirements, and at the same time, we are able to provide value to them uh, on a daily basis. So now let's have a look at what is the landing zone about. Okay, so the landing zone concept. Actually, the global landing zone is a centralized, well, it's a set of automation tools and processes that we've created. They materialize, so if you want to, want to know what is behind tech, from a technical perspective, these are cloud formation templates and service control patterns that we've created. And they can be automatically deployed in the accounts of the different entities. And to give you an idea, we've seen we have uh, more than 60 AXA legal entities. Out of those 60 entities, 34 are using AWS services, more than half of them. And in all those 34, we have been able to deploy, or we are deploying the landing zone. That means every entity that is using, it's consuming AWS services, is compliant with the landing zone. And we are automatically, we're able to automatically deploy this into the account. We have more than 350 accounts now in those 34 entities that are using the landing zone. And you can see here the categories. So what did we think is the minimum requirement? What are the categories that we needed to implement and that we needed to well, configure and make sure they're, uh, they're, they're standardized? Um, I will not go through all of them, but just to pick one of them, it's encryption. All our workload in the cloud needs to be encrypted. So it's mandatory to use encryption, so we deploy encryption into all the landing zones. Okay, and it's, a, and it's even a, it's an enforced configuration. So if someone, and I will come to that in a second, if someone would try to switch it off, there's an auto-remediation auto process, a lambda function, that will make sure that it's switched on again. Another one I mentioned, um, network. Network security is super important. Well, first of all, the whole network integration, because, you know, as being a global company, it's very difficult to manage the whole network architecture landscape um, but also it gives, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's quite um, uh, a complex architecture that needs to be managed and it needs to be secured because if you're operating globally, you're, you know, it, it creates a lot of vulnerabilities. 
So you need to be able to manage it well. So you see here we have this category of network security where we are automatically configuring services like the uh, VPN service or DDoS service of AWS to make sure that every entity is protected from the start. Uh, another aspect that was very important as well, and I will explain to you later, is all about detecting and alerting. Okay, I mentioned already the auto-remediation that we're implementing for some of those configurations through Lambda, um, but it's also important that we are aware at any point in time what is really happening, what is the utilization, what is the current state of our account, no matter where it is around the globe. So this is also a standard configuration that is deployed. These are the services and the categories. Now have a, let's have a look from another angle. So this is the topology of the landing zone. Um, it looks probably a bit complex, but well, it's not. I will guide you very quickly through it. So it all starts with the, what we call the entity account, which we call the resource account, which is actually where the workload of the, of the application, of the, the business value is created. Okay, probably most of you uh, that are using uh, AWS uh, you know, have a similar concept. Okay, you have the resource accounts. They are normally split into prod and non-prod environments. And we have uh, also a shared services uh, account there that allows the development teams to, for example, deploy their, their code into whatever uh, uh, area, non-prod or prod. Okay, so that's the resource account. That's how we started. Okay, that's where the entity is. Um, on top of that, we implemented what we call, well, it's a local cloud broker account. You can call it, it's a management account, um, which is one that helps to configure and to control the resource account. As you can see here, you have, for example, a, a tools uh, environment. And actually, the tools environment is the one uh, through which the landing zone is being deployed to the resource account. You have a network configuration account, and very important as well, you have an audit account. Why audit account? And I will explain this in a few minutes. It's because if I'm not a developer, if I'm, for example, a security person or a risk manager, I want to see what's happening in the, in the AWS account. I, you know, I'm an, I'm an interested party. I want to see what kind of you know, services we are engaging with, what is the cost, um, you know, who's accessing the services. So in this audit account, we are consolidating data that we make available to, uh, to support functions. And last but not least, we have the central or global cloud broker account, which is the account where we are you know, even aggregating all the audit data on a higher level, on a global level. But also it's the source, or let's say the starting point of the de deployment or the new release of the landing zone uh, through the tools account. Okay, so the global tool account is connected to the local tool account, which is then managing all the resources accounts. That's basically the topology. Um, let's go back to the example. So now we have the foundations, okay? We control the foundations. We, um, we, we are able to deploy it. We are able to collect data. So we are able to mitigate risk, but we are not yet able to use services, okay? We want to use all the beautiful services of AWS. In this example, let's come back to, uh, to Japan. SageMaker was mentioned. 
So what happened at the time when the project wanted to use the SageMaker service? Because we want to make sure that all the services we are using are compliant and secure, we have created our own, let's say, approved services catalog for AXA. That means every service that we use needs to run through a certain process to get an approval. Okay, so like, uh, like you know, we call it, it's a, it's a configuration pattern that we need to create. So at that time in Japan, SageMaker was, uh, was, uh, was requested. And we were running SageMaker through this configuration pattern process, making sure to understand, okay, if we want to use SageMaker, what are the aspects, what are, what, what are the implications to the usage, um, also towards the, the landing zone, and the configurations we've put in place. You see here some examples like, again, we need to find out how does security and alerting work for SageMaker? How do I do backup? How, is, how do I connect it towards the IAM service? Um, and so on, okay? Now, what is important also, and it's coming back to the balance between autonomy and, and standardization and control. This process is not something that needs to happen centrally. Every country, every cloud broker can run this process of product, of, of service evaluation. Because we want to make sure that we are able to speed, to, 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 uh, to do the cloud adoption with a high, high speed. You know, we don't want to slow, slow down anything. Um, and it's, uh, that's a very important aspect for us. So this can be a centralized or decentralized process. So once we have run a service, in this case SageMaker, through this validation pattern, we know what kind of configuration changes we need to put in place in our landing zone in order to make the landing zone aware that now there's also a service SageMaker that can be used in a secure, compliant, well-configured way. That's what you see here. So actually what we are doing is we are adjusting the configuration of the global landing zone with every new service that we are, that we are adding, with every service that goes through this service validation process. And the beauty of this process is that with the next release of the landing zone, every other entity who wants to use SageMaker can already do it in a secure way, in a secure and configured, compliant way. So every entity, every one of those 34 entities that are using AWS services at AXA will benefit from this one entity that has already started to work with this service. Now this is a question of, it's a matter of speed as well. So how often do we deploy, the, how, how many releases of the landing zone do we, do we produce? So this year in 2019, so far we've produced 40 releases of the landing zone. So almost every week we're deploying a new version of the landing zone. <clears throat> how do we do that? Very simple, we have a process, we have, a, we have an, our own enterprise GitHub where we are putting all our resources in. Um, so you have the, here it's foundation, where basically is what, you, what I mentioned earlier, it's the cloud formation templates, it's the configurations, and we're using the service catalog service to then, and, and also the AWS CICD pr um, um, products here, to deploy, to create a new release and deploy it into the landing zone, uh, sorry, into the cloud broker account everywhere. Remember the topology? We had the global, uh, the global account, and we had the local cloud broker account. So in this step, we are taking the release, it's automatically 
deployed. You can see here it's just you know, promoted into an S3 bucket in the, um, in the environment, in the, in the local cloud broker environment. And from there, it can be deployed into the resource account at their own speed. What's important to know is most of the cloud brokers, most of the entities are doing it automatically, okay? Because we have automated test processes in there as well. So what is happening is that actually the new version of the landing zone is most of the time automatically deployed in the resources accounts. But even if not, every entity or cloud broker has the chance to, well, select the right point in time, you know, when there's you know, low risk or low volume or whatever, or we have, you know, whenever there's a, the right point in time, they can choose when they're deploying it. So that means now, Japan has started to, to use SageMaker. We've run it through the process. We've integrated it to the landing zone. We've deployed the landing zone everywhere. So now every entity can use SageMaker in the secure AXA way. How many services have we activated so far in this way, <clears throat> in the... Uh, AXA, let's say, catalog of, of AWS services, we are around 40. And why 40? Because we started with the most wanted ones, like RDS services, log services, you know, the obvious ones, maybe some for data analytics, EMR, glue. We started with those. But using this product management process, we added, you know, we, we were working on the backlog and we added more and more and more. Okay, so we have 40 now that are ready and configured and fully integrated into the landing zone. Okay, so we have the landing zone, we have the services, now we want to know what's happening. Okay, we need to have this point of control where we are able to look at the data. So here you see again our resource accounts, okay, where all our workloads are running in, and they are creating data logs, uh, you know, other configuration, uh, uh, configuration data, usage data, whatever. And when we started with, the, with our cloud journey, we kept the data only in these accounts. We did not collect it in any way. The data was there. It was needed because we needed to be, you know, it, it needed to be auditable, what is happening in the public cloud. Okay, remember, very, uh, very, um, uh, regulated environment, but we kept it there. So if you're managing more than 350 accounts and you have to go to 350 accounts and look at the data all the time, that's not very efficient. So what we did is, as I mentioned before, we have implemented this audit account, <clears throat> which is aggregating already on a, I would say, still on a local level, but aggregating the data from the uh, resource accounts, from the, from the application accounts, and allows analysis, okay? We can start to look at the data. And the good thing is, you know, people who are not necessarily application developers, so like service functions can start to look at the data. Finance, okay, FinOps, they can find out, find out what is the utilization, you know, what kind of services are we using? Uh, has someone created enormous amounts of, uh, of cost because they have not switched down a service or whatever, okay? So security can look, look at it. Uh, we, can, we can define security uh, incident uh, um, recognition uh, patterns there. Uh, and overall, uh, for us as a global cloud broker or global cloud center of excellence teams, we have the visibility of what's happening in all those 350 accounts. So in this second step, we kept the data still on a 
well, I would say, local level. So it was still geographically distributed, not in 350, but still in, let's say, 20. And the last step that we did is we implemented a layer, an aggregation layer on top. And the beauty of this layer is we, are, we just used what was obvious. We used an AWS data lake service for that. So we created our own data lake about the metadata and, and you know, utilization data of all our accounts, as you can see here. Okay, so all the data that is coming from the resource accounts, the audit accounts, they are aggregated and they are put into the data lake. And now we have the possibility to look at all the different aspects of the cloud usage at, you know, for all our entities across the globe in a central dashboard. But not only that, we are now also able to retrieve um, um, directly data, uh, real-time data from the account. So we have started now, and this is the next step. You know, I said we are in a learning journey. We are not yet you know, perfect. There's a long way to go. But we are, so we've started to, um, to integrate real-time data so that, for example, from the security incident management aspect, we are able now to send incidents to our security operations center. So if, we, if there's any kind of anomaly that we see in one of those accounts, we can define this is a security incident and the, and the SOC, the security operating center, can react to it. <coughs> Excuse me. This is where we stand right now. Like I said, it's the concept that we've been working on. Uh, we had a lot of support from, uh, from our colleagues from AWS um, in this journey. Um, it's a learning curve. We are continuously working on this. There are many challenges still ahead of us. Um, but I think with this, uh, with this implementation over the last three years now, um, we've reached quite a good level of maturity to continue uh, to accelerate the cloud journey in this balance of autonomy and standardization and control at the same time. Okay, at this point, I hand over to Ash. Thank you very much. Thank you, Thomas. Um, what I'm going to do is just conclude out where, where we think we are now in our journey, what we need to do next. So as Thomas mentioned, that we have these global landing zones, and thanks to the help of AWS, we have some global consistency in, a, in our processes and the way we're deploying uh, our cloud's capability. However, we are still facing a large number of challenges. We're not done. The program itself is a marathon. It's not a sprint. We've only done 25%. We've still got 20, 75% of the workloads still to move. And you saw today that um, from Andy Jesse's presentation, only 3% of application or 3% of um, infrastructure services are on the cloud today, whereas 97 are still on-prem. And we have a big journey with 75% of that, our activity still to migrate. Where, where are we seeing some of those challenges? Some of those challenges are in places of, we, we have a multi-hybrid cloud strategy. So we have some data sitting in private, sometimes in our core IT legacy, sometimes in AWS. And how do you move that data between the different systems to manage it and get it out there and with, without latency, without the 100 firewalls that you have to go through to make that data work? So that's something that, that's a challenge for us today that we're actually having to deal with. And we haven't cracked that puzzle yet. Another is that the constant evolving technology. As you saw that we have 40 AWS services in an AXA ready mode. And just today, 
Andy Jesse probably released another 40 services. So now how do we keep up? There is obviously the constant change in Kubernetes or SAP on the cloud or other features and technologies that are coming up. We have to keep constantly evolving what we're, what we're, um, how, we're, how we're dealing with this change in the technology. It's moving so fast compared to older um, on-prem uh, on infrastructure services in the past. The big challenge we have also is that the, con the constant change in the regulatory environment is phenomenal. Every country is coming up with different policies and procedures, and we, we, we have an extensive compliance framework that we work with to make sure that what we are moving to the cloud adheres to data privacy, data residency laws, any cloud acts, etc. Of course, we're, as I mentioned on our journey, we're starting to move to ecosystems of applications and more complicated applications and how we, how we evolve and move those. And the big challenge for us now is how do we onboard the rest of the, the, what we call the smaller entities, the ones which don't have large resource pools, who don't have the ability or the capacity to do the test and learn process, or don't have the same level of funding as our larger businesses to absorb a change and migrate to the cloud. So that said, we, we think we've progressed somewhat over the last few years. We still have a lot to do, um, but we've, um, we're, we're progressing in the right way, we think. And hopefully, you've been able to relate to some of the points that we've shown today. Maybe you've taken away one thing that can help you on your own local cloud journey. Thanks to the help of AWS, we've been quite successful in moving that forward. And, um, and that's all I wanted to share with you today. Thank you. <laughs>